Hey everybody, this is JD from Seattle here at the Yakima Valley Hops uh, Brew Store. Welcome to the late edition. Thanks for coming by. Don't panic, we're back. It's the late edition. I apologize for the dead air, but here we go, episode four. Hannah is running the mic this week for this episode. She had a nice long chat with the husband and wife duo behind Dwinnell Brewing. They opened up recently here in the state. Uh, she talks with them about a bunch of different things like raw ales, uh, kimchi beer. Uh, they do some goofy stuff. So hope you enjoy. It is coming at you in two parts. There was, uh, there was a lot of content. They talked about a lot of good stuff. So 30 minutes this week. We'll do 30 minutes next week. Enjoy. See you at the end. Justin Lee, J-O-S-T-I-N, L-E-I-G-H. And I'm Jocelyn Lee, that's J-O-C-E-L-Y-N, L-E-I-G-H. <laughs> now I figured we'd start talking about the brewery and how it began and all that, but just for me, I want to know how you guys met. <laughs> uh, our, my best friend in grad school was Justin's neighbor. Oh, she okay. introduced us after much bugging from Justin. Okay. Yeah. And you guys are both from Chicago, right? No. Or no? Just no, I'm you from were New living Jersey, there. Went to Chicago for oh, law okay. school. Okay. I grew up in Vancouver, Washington, so I'm the reason we ended That's up here. That's why. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. Going to school in Chicago too, so kind of yeah. met in the middle. I got involved during law school uh, with the, in the beer industry in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, worked at a couple breweries, and then we, then I met Jocelyn, and she sort of turned me on to sour beer. He suggested we yeah. uh, brew a beer together. After we've been dating for about a month, and he was like, "What type of beer do you like?" Well, there's this one. Isn't that the most romantic question? Yeah. (laughs) Kind of beer do you like? Yeah. Well, I I worked at in Chicago at one point. I managed a homebrew shop, and there was Mm -hmm. like, the common story was like, "Oh yeah, my wife or my girlfriend doesn't like this. It's Mm -hmm. my hobby. Mm -hmm. So you know, like, I've got to find room for all this stuff. You know, I'm trying to sell them all this equipment. They're like, I have no space. I'm like, of course you have space. But so it was kind of nice that Johnson was interested, and then. She uh, told me about this beer called La Folie, which is a common story about people that get into mixed culture, wild fermentation. That's their gateway beer. It was for me. I think it was for, for you. I just picked it yeah. off a beer menu because I liked the name. <laughs> the bartender was like, I don't know if you're going to like this, and gave me a sip. And instantly I was like, this is the yeah. best thing I've ever had. So I was ready for weird beer from then on. I like and that. Prior to making quote-unquote sour beers, um, I had been make I had a bunch of homebrew batches that kind of ended up that way <laughs> unintentionally and I was sort of um, sort of dissuaded and, and almost I took a break from brewing for a while actually um, and then sort of picked it back up again but this seemed like a perfect way to kind of like harness what was already apparently happening to my beer <laughs> but yeah. kind of bring it in a way that was like palatable yeah that um, way you can control it and yeah and one of the things that was appealing about being able to make this type of beer was that we couldn't really get it anywhere else. I mean, we're, this was, you know, not too long ago, maybe four years ago at this point, but, you know, like access 
to mixed culture beers, sour beers, was a lot less than it is now. You know, now there's a, a lot more commercial examples from American producers, and it's easier to find these beers on the shelf. But at the time, it, it, it sort of stemmed from lack of access and, and this realization that, hey, we can make these ourselves, and they're, at least in our opinion, you know, just as good or better than some of these commercial examples we're finding. Mm-hmm. We sort of were like, I was practicing law, Jocelyn was doing, you know, you were you were singing, doing some other work, and then we sort of were sidetracking, like, oh, let's sort of developing this business idea, and then it got to a certain point where we just decided to go focus on it 100%, and so in this uh, September of, what, 16? 16, we dr- we moved from Chicago Took to... Took the plunge. To, yeah. <laughs> and my, all my family thought I was crazy. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> Uh, we knew we wanted to move back to the West Coast and quickly decided on Washington and kind of worked our way out right. from Vancouver because it's grown so much in the last mm-hmm. 10 or 15 years. We didn't really want to be back there. We were done with being in the crowded, expensive city. We looked up by five and we looked up out of the coast and looked out through the gorge and I think it was about two years ago exactly. We were just talking about this with my parents. I called my mom and I was like, what do you think about Goldendale? And they were both like, that sounds better than all the other places you've looked at. And it kind of sparked this thing. And yeah. as soon as we talked to people in town, everyone was excited and supportive about it. And just went from there. Remind me again when you started homebrewing. Oh, man. Well, I started start? right after college when okay. I was applying for law school. Uh, I'd gone back and visited co- like college some some kids, and, and they were homebrewing. Apparently, there was a homebrew shop mm-hmm. like a mile down the road. I never knew it from yeah. where I went to school. And I tasted some of their beer and thought, wow, this is... This is really good, and man, I could do this. I always had hobbies growing mm-hmm. up, and it was, you know, it's a fun hobby, as everyone knows. You know, you sort of combine science and culinary techniques, and, you know, it was also kind of a way. I was, I was living with my mom at the time in New Jersey, and it was, it was kind of a way that she couldn't really keep track of how much beer I was drinking. Because <laughs> I was just brewing it. Like, she, right. I wasn't like, you know, so kind of how it started. It was like eight, nine years ago? Yeah, probably about nine years ago at this point years ago. you know and then i read like sam calgion's book brewing up a business oh yeah so this is really stereotypical <laughs> like and that was definitely inspiring as silly as it sounds like mm-hmm. hey this is a business i could do uh but i sort of was already on that track to go to law school so i said you know let me do this and, and well and, and what year was this the way that you read the book and you were kind of thinking it over um, and whatnot end of 2010 and okay. 10. so i started i mean that's yeah. kind of yeah. Just kind of scaling up in the breweries and becoming yeah. a thing. And and then, you know, was brewing, went to law school and was trying to figure out a way to maybe do law and work in the industry at the same time. Yeah. Uh, I sort of had this idea that, oh, maybe I could be um, a lawyer for brewery startups because I was sort of focusing on small business law thing. But most small breweries don't have the money for lawyers or they are you know, cheap enough or nearsighted enough where they don't want to spend right. money on a lawyer. <laughs> right. um, so there really wasn't much of a market. Um, so I ended up practicing some other things I didn't like very much. But all the while, you know, using my focus on business law to like develop our business, essentially the lawyer for our business now, it's pretty handy. That's good. You know? Yeah. But the other thing about Goldendale that was appealing was like, from being in Chicago and seeing it, like, after my first year of law school, I reached out to every single brewery in Chicago to try to mm-hmm. intern, work, whatever. I remember there were 12 breweries. One got back to me. But now there's something like 60 breweries mm-hmm. in the Chicagoland area. And so 
what we'd see a lot, and we've seen this in other markets too, someone goes into an area, they, they rent this space for a brewery, they gentrify the area or some equivalent sort of yeah. development, and then they get stuck paying this landlord who doesn't want to sell them the building. And so we knew we wanted to own the land that we were going to have our brewery on. And that was a big thing that kind of drew us towards Goldendale was the affordable property. Prices. Oh, yeah. You yeah. don't have anyone hanging over you. And, and being close to all the hops and the wineries yeah. and the fruit. And we have a grain grower we work with down in Madras and still being close to Vancouver. You're kind right. of in the middle of Yakima, Vancouver, Bend, and the Tri-Cities. So you have a day trip away from four major... When I first heard of you guys, I was like, Goldendale, really? Like, (laughs) just kind of trying to think about it. But it's kind of in this nice pocket Mm -hmm. in like the mecca of all this accessible ingredients like hops and yeah. It's funny, someone, I heard someone say the other day, they said, Goldendale is in the middle of nowhere and yet it's the middle of everything. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, and you kind of really have to be intending to go there to Mm -hmm. come to Goldendale. I mean, Mm -hmm. we are, it's only a hundred miles from Portland or Vancouver for that matter, you know. Yeah. So, and that was the thing. We wanted to be within 100 miles of that market. And then we, based on the type of beers that we wanted to make, we wanted to be able to have relationships with our producers, you know, whether it's someone producing malt, growing hops, making wine, for that matter, because you know, yeah. we do a lot. I mean, we draw a lot of inspiration from wine. And whether it's barrel aging or using grapes or grape must uh, with our beer, you know, to, um, to produce these kind of beer-wine hybrids, you know, that's really important for us. And, We've been fortunate that we've been able to develop those relationships where we know the people growing or processing our hops or, you know, making them all. It's, it's kind of nice to actually have a personal relationship with those people that goes beyond just like, here's a check, let me yeah. get that thing from <laughs> you, you know. Because I'm on a certain level, all these things are commodities and they're mm-hmm. commodified, but it's nice to actually kind of like step beyond that and, and not, you know, have a more insight into the process behind the production, but also to, to know... The, the people behind that right process. establish those connections yeah, yeah. so it, that's been really great you know so it's funny when we the the first question we get a lot is why goldendale yeah and then the more we explain to people i think they they're like it oh, makes, that makes more total sense. sense yeah you know and then there's other things i mean just like in addition to the land being so inexpensive you know that low overhead as it were you know the the water that we get is absolutely amazing in Goldendale. It comes out of the Simcoe Mountains, you know, so like the Simcoe Mountains are basically what are, they start about 15, 20 miles north of Goldendale and they're basically like separate us from the Yakima Valley, mm-hmm. right? Simcoe Hops get their name from. And so we're on like the south face of those and basically water comes out at about, how, how high it? comes is it? straight out of the bedrock at about 6,000 feet and they're not the city's not even quite sure what the aquifer or spring or reservoir it is up there, but it's entirely gravity fed and they, since it comes out of the bedrock, it's all underground. So there's no, it's not actually a spring, so there's no contaminants. Right. And so they do like the bare minimum, you know, chlorine required by the state just to be safe. It is the softest, cleanest water. It's cold all year round. What more could you want? <laughs> it's pretty cool. Answers the question the, for me. Why Goldendale? <laughs> and that's perfect. Lab work done in the water's softer than the water in Pilsen. So really? We just have like a blank slate to do yeah. whatever we want. We try to work with it as much as we can. So it doesn't bring out a lot of bitterness because mm-hmm. it's such soft water. But then even when you have a really dry or a bitter beer, it gets this really soft kind of creamy flavor to it because of the water. Yeah, even beers we've made that attenuate like a lot you know, into the 90s, um, 
it's there's still this kind of creaminess to it from from the softness in the water so and what we're sort of trying to do is kind of build up flavor profiles around our water rather than layering in different brewing salts to, right you know achieve a certain like bitterness extraction and we don't really use hops for their bittering properties anyway so sort of seems to align with you know the type of beers we want to make anyway i mean i don't know every brewery in the world but i don't know any breweries that are making beer around their water profile it's kind of interesting <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the classic styles yeah that way just because right, they yeah. know any better right. but now people try to copy those styles or imitate them and they will add those things in and for us we're more interested in making beer that tastes like it's from Goldendale. Right, yeah, it sounds like it's, someone else's. it's an appreciation for the resources that you have mm -hmm. in front of you, and that's something very special. So what was the most surprising thing that you guys have learned or experienced so far since opening up? I guess we were pleasantly surprised by how well we've been received in Goldendale. We've got a mm -hmm. really good core group of local people that come every week. You know, we, we still, we're gearing up to have a lot of tourism traffic this summer but we opened in the middle of august about six months ago last week or so and we had two weeks of summer where no one really knew about us or yeah it, right so we had two weeks of summer business and then the fire in the gorge started and All that right. kind of put that to bed and so we didn't really experience the summer and and i think now that we've been distributing here in the valley and gotten more exposure yeah, yeah. even that like on weekends like this past couple weekends people will have had our beer somewhere like in Vancouver and they decide yeah. to come visit that's the goal for us so I mean but despite all that you know there's a couple dive bars in town and apparently there was this whole constituency of people in Goldendale that really liked good beer but weren't going out to any of these places so we started getting and we continue to get this consistent customer base that was not, you know they weren't going out anywhere else in town because mm -hmm. we were kind of worried oh we're going to take away business from these other bars they're going to hate us <laughs> that didn't really happen at <laughs> right all. yeah we just got all these other people that weren't going out anywhere so yeah. and i think yeah. along with being accepted it's more than just us as a business or a place to go out i've been surprised how open people are to the beers we make it's uh, yeah, it's a change of pace in a small town, yeah, right? It's an underdeveloped beer market, so a lot of people right. still like, oh, I like an amber. Oh, I like a dark beer. Mm -hmm. Oh, what's your pale beer? I'm like, do you mean a pale hoppy beer or pale, like, light lager beer? So there's that kind of that thing, but we try to always have a new beer every Wednesday, which goes along with the membership we have. People mm -hmm. get a discounted beer every week, and I think having that new beer every week has and for a cheap price for members, been a really good way to expose people to different types of beers. Mm -hmm. And it's maybe something they wouldn't have ever tried before, purposefully, or even had the chance to. And a lot of them have been really excited. And guys who used to only drink IPAs now drank our beer to guard all winter. You know, these women who didn't think they liked beer because they've only ever had, you know, a lager or something super hoppy, they're like, oh, I actually like this. Mm -hmm. And it's been really cool to introduce them to all of these different styles right. and how receptive they've been. Yeah, because it's an underdeveloped beer market, what's also been surprising is how little preconceived notions people have about beer. So that's not stopping them from trying new things. Yeah. They'll say, I'll try that thing. And they kind of come with an open mind, which is surprising because when I mean, you go to more mature beer markets, people are kind of more set in their ways. 
they know what they like. And what sort of goes hand in hand with that is when we were mentioning to you before we started recording and how we don't call our beers sour, let's say. We don't really use that word at all. And in fact, we're really particular about the language that we use on our menu and in the in our tasting room as a way to make the beers more inviting and not to create this preconception for people. You know, if we say something sour, they have a certain idea in their mind of what that is, especially right. if they haven't had a quote-unquote sour beer before or something with wild yeast. Um, we won't even say like, like Britannomyces because it's just too, you know, we're not trying to conceal it. Maybe it's there in our menu description, but we're not saying it's a Brett beer because you know, people don't even know what sack is to begin with. You know? <laughs> right, yeah. Most people are like, so the hops, like you ferment the beer with the hops, you know, like they don't even understand how a lot of times how fermentation process works. So we're not going to like get bogged down in that. And that's, we're here to educate them, but we're here to do it in a way that so they don't, certain words don't color their idea of what the beer is and so some people come in and they they say oh you guys only have sour beers right because they heard it from someone and <laughs> yeah we don't i mean our beers have different levels of acidity some ranging from you know closer to your typical acid level of typical non quote unquote sour beer to something that's tart and people are surprised sometimes we'll hand them a beer that we acidified intentionally and tried to build an acid profile and they'll say oh this isn't that sour this is good mm-hmm. You know, we had this Goza-style beer for a while. I mean, we just called it a wheat ale. And I remember this guy came in and he said, oh, the, the last wheat ale I had was when I was in Germany during the war. So I'm <laughs> thinking, oh, he had like a half or something. Yeah. And he's an older guy. And I said, oh, well, here, try this. And he loved it. I didn't, you know. <laughs> and this is, you know, a beer that we acidified. It's got sea salt and coriander and it's delicious. But... You know, if I had sat there and said, oh, here's tried this sour beer that are from northern Germany that has mm-hmm. sea salt and coriander, he would have probably asked for something else. The yeah. other thing is that we, as I kind of mentioned, don't try to stay perfectly true to style. That's what right. I like about you guys. Old world <laughs> things, so it might start off yeah. as inspired by a Goza, but if you had someone who'd had a Goza, you know, in Germany, they'd be like, this isn't that beer mm-hmm. but it's still interesting to us and so rather than sticking with those styles and especially styles that are in other languages we try to make our own kind of basic name for it that just describes the what idea. it is at a simple level mm-hmm. and sometimes that's a catch-all of a farmhouse beer or that's why we kind of it's Dwinnell country ales right we make them in the country we're not on a farmhouse they're not all farmhouse style they're not all Belgian inspired but it's something that we try to always be creative and use what we have. Right. And the conversation that we're, I think, being a part of with the way we're being particular with our language, it's not just happening on this lower level for people that are unfamiliar with craft beer or these styles, but it's also happening on that like higher level, you know, where people that are producing a lot of wild mixed fermentation beers, which is how do we talk about them? And I think there's a, a struggle, and I think there's some tensions being resolved here and there about, you know, how do we talk about and market these beers? in a way, because there's so many different methods to produce acidity in a beer, whether it, you know, and then how does that equate to price? Mm -hmm. You know, is it a kettle soured beer in a can? Is it a fooder aged mixed culture ale that's, you know, been in oak for a year and a half and then in a bottle for, you know, with a cork and cage. And so I don't really have um, like a solution for all that, but I I think it's a, a good place to start, which is trying to be simpler. Well, I think most of our beers have acidity, but that's not what defines them. It's not a sour beer. There's more stuff going on with it. 
the bulb right. or the fruit or putting in oak. It's not just a sour beer. That's one component of the whole thing. Right. Exactly. And that's where we draw a lot of inspiration from wine, which we, you know, we really like wine and we, and we really respect how when winemakers are dealing with acidity, they're trying mm-hmm. to have a balanced level of acidity. No one's like, this wine's sour. <laughs> Unless it's vinegar. Unless it is sour, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of another reason why we're not calling things sour. I mean, you could we're trying to dial in the acidity in a way that's balanced. But you don't want to put it in a box, right? Mm-hmm. It's right. a lot more yeah. than just a sour. So I wanted to kind of trail back a little bit more to you guys' beginnings. I wanted, I was curious to know what the transition was like for you guys from home brewing to commercial brewing. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's always what I like to know. Well, we like to it's, joke. it's two very different things in my opinion. So I just like to know what the transition is, was like for you. It is and it isn't. I assistant brewed at this brewery in, in Chicago, but I wasn't really given that much responsibility. I was mostly working with them on like social media stuff okay. so like brand, brand strategy, recipe development, and then in the brew house. I, okay, I didn't really like, and it was a very different <laughs> brew system. Anyway, essentially in August, I went from brewing five gallons at a time to seven barrels at a time. Mm-hmm. But our yeah. brew system is an electric system with two vessels, and we joke that it's still just home brewing. Right. It, you know, we have a friend who has a half-barrel homebrew setup that's exactly the same as ours. But it's a half-barrel, and we have a seven-barrel. <laughs> but, I mean, so. you go to other breweries that's whatever, maybe their source of power is different, steam or direct fire or whatever. Um, and maybe it's hard plumb. It's all this. It's the same, though. They just, it's the same process. And, you know, the equipment's bigger, and, you know, maybe, you know, you hit way to clean it's different. But, but more I mean, along it, the lines of, like, recipe development and like a weird balance between having all that creative control that you want in homebrewing and that businessy yeah. side of like appealing to your market enough to, but still brewing what you want to brew. It, yeah. it still kind of sometimes feels like a shot in the dark, like yeah. dialing in um, color, for example. Uh, Beersmith sometimes, which is what I use, doesn't always get that right. right. <laughs> like we set out to do something like a, re- a red ale like a week and a half or two weeks ago it's more peachy colored (laughs) yeah like we didn't get enough red 40 in there or no kidding but the other thing was that ended up being a raw ale so it was a no boil beer and so i'm not really sure you know maybe would have gotten better obviously none of the protein dropped out because we didn't boil it so it's pretty cloudy but maybe would have had more of a concentration of color if we hadn't boiled it so it's kind of this like amberish yeah, peach color thing right now. <laughs> uh, so we don't make any flagships. Mm-hmm. We have certain beers we'll probably make again next fall or next winter. But we're more interested in using seasonal ingredients and letting the yeast do what it's going to do with the season and the weather. And so it's more about the quality for us than making it exactly the same every time. Right. So I think that would be a whole other hurdle if that's what we were going for. But it's not. And I think. Most of the batches we made last fall, we split in half and put half into oak to start filling up barrels, and then we've started distributing a lot more, and we try to keep the same main styles on tap, but each batch is different. Like, we're finishing up dark farmhouse ale that the batches were, I think we're on the last keg now, and it was a little bit tart, really roasty and chocolatey, kind of fruity. It was really interesting, and now we have a new one, which we brought if you want to try it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yes. And yeah, it's similar, but we actually put smoked malt in it, and so it's mm. a lot less of that fruity, and it's more smoky malty. So we'll have the same, you know, dark beer oh. for people who kind of like those flavors, but it's a 
totally different beer this time. It has a balanced <clears throat> smokiness. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't want to like I don't want to step forward and say it's a smoked beer because no one will buy it. <laughs> it's kind of true. But it, yeah, it's sad but true. Mm-hmm. Um, not as far as keeping customers happy, we try to have the similar styles, so beer for everyone. So we don't. Well, we really like these farmhouse styles. We still always have a lager, or we'll do a lot of. IPAs as collaborations with other people and we try to have a beer for everyone rather mm-hmm. than focusing entirely on IPAs or entirely on farmhouse beers. We try to have a good wide range. Yeah, we, you know, I think nationally, I think they say something like IPAs account for like 75% or so yeah. of the craft segment um, and then if you go to a lot of craft bars or breweries with tap rooms, A, they've curated their tap list to have IPAs maybe be mm. 50 to 75 percent of their offerings or otherwise be they that's you know their sales are reflecting that national trend and that's great but I think what, what our goal is is we want a little bit more of a balanced portfolio and so we really try to keep our you know we have two IPAs on right now they're both collabs which I can get to in a sec the one's an English style and one's kind of a semi-hazy one and then we actually we do a guest beer and the guest beer right now happens to be bottom cutter so there's three ipas on out of ten and the highest the best selling beer for the last week has been this hoppy farmhouse beer that we did yeah (laughs) so that's what we like to see that these other beers are out selling the ipas so as far as ipas go i mean all the ipas we've done we've done with other breweries and that's kind of what we're sticking to right now um we did one with Varietal last fall. We've done one Lewitt in Vancouver and Fortside and, and Hookham in, Van, in Vancouver. And i um, going to do another one with Trapdoor next on Monday. Why IPAs? We don't like For... to make them so much, but <laughs> yeah. we know people like to drink them. Right. And also being an underdeveloped market, beer market in Goldendale, we really like introducing people to other beers they haven't had, especially mm. our friends' beers. And maybe... We like to drink them occasionally. It's not what interests us or inspires us brewing as much, but it's a good way to go hang out with your friends and yeah, bring that's the beer back. <laughs> yeah. If the beer moves quick enough, it's not so big of a problem, but I mean, in our brewery, we've sort of embraced the funk and there's just a lot of wild yeast and bacteria yeah. everywhere. and That works for us, but, and, and then that would work for doing a quick turnaround IPA. We're not trying to can it or anything like that, so I'm not right. worried about there potentially being a trace of bread or anything like that. But also, yeah, it's just not something that interests us as much, but it's kind of a fun thing to be able to still offer that style of beer and be able to do with other people. Yeah, um, make connections. And, and Hang out with your friends. <laughs> and honestly, it's one of those beers that I really never really made many of. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's also a good learning experience to see how other people make IPA yeah. because everybody has their own weird way of doing stuff, especially, you know, when it comes to like post-fermentation or mid to post-fermentation hop additions. A lot of people, that's where everyone's got their own special way of doing it. When to add it, how to rouse it, when, you know, yeah, like what yeah. temperature, you know, leaving yeast on or not. It's like, so that's always kind of fun to see people's ways that they do that. And, and as far as a beer goes, it kind of has all these elements. Like you've got kettle additions of hops, whirlpool, dry hop. And, you know, you so you're sort of hitting all these different sort of categories of what you're doing when you're brewing whereas like if you did a other types of beer like most of the beers we make we don't really we don't add any hops in the kettle we just like mash with some hops 
-hmm. It's like not the same process. You know, you, we skip a bunch of steps. We don't do a bunch of things. So from an educational standpoint, it's nice to see how people are doing all these different things. Because that kind of goes back to, you know, going from five gallons to 217 yeah. gallons. <laughs> you know, like, how are you doing this thing? And most people that know me that are brewers, you know, they, they know that I, like, text them or call them sometimes frantically. Yeah. Like, how do, how, do I, how do I do this? Is this right? Um, what are you doing? Are you doing yeah. this way? <laughs> and then chances are, like, the four or five people who you'll ask will all have their own way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It'll turn out, yeah. well, yeah, you're doing it fine, but... You know. I would do it this way. Yeah. 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 And then someone will be like, oh, that's perfect. Yeah, that's what I do. You're like, eh. Okay. I guess that's why you get so many different types of beer. Well, that'll do it for part one, episode four. The rest will come at you next week. I'll try and get it out nice and early, not make you wait until Friday. I apologize for the dead air between episode three and four. It was nice to hear from everybody. Y'all got worried about us, so it was nice to know that we'll be missed, but we will We'll try and keep this up. Uh, it was just kind of a busy, busy spring. We were slinging a lot of hops and slinging a lot of rhizomes, and it's good, but... If we're packing orders, it means we don't have as much time to uh, play around podcasting. So I guess if you want more frequent podcast episodes, stop ordering hops from yakimavalleyhops.com and spothops.com. So there you go. That's, uh, that's how you get more podcasts. Not sure if the marketing guy's really going to like it, though. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Thank you.